Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday evening. Still with this cold and everything, but I'm... uh, Trying my best, and we're going to do the parsha now. Uh, this is Vayakel, of course. It's my bar mitzvah parsha this week, right? Uh, tomorrow's actually my birthday with me and Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Uh, a Friedman. Anyway, um, so your parsha is Vayakel, and I'll get right down to the chase. Today's uh, talk is being sponsored uh, by a friend of this podcast. They did it before. That's Lou Goldberg, Louis Goldberg, and his wife. Um, as he says, it's in, for the yard sites of my grandfather's. Huh, look at that. A day apart. Obviously, different years. Grand, obviously. Uh, 27 other, 28 other that's coming up. One is 27 other is the yard site of Lazar Yehuda Ben Shmuel. And 28 Adar is the yard site of Arm Ben Pesach. The Neshamos Shavon as they say. <laughs> now, um, Neshamos Shavon Uh Anyway, Vayaka, as we all know, is uh, just saying that they executed what they were told to execute back in Truma Tetzava. As everybody knows, you have four Pashas, two, and then interruption and two. You have Truma Tetzava, where you have the orders of what to do, and then you have the um, Kisiso, where you have the Golden, excuse me, Golden Kef episode, and then you have um, Vayakam Pekude. Whether or not Kisiso is part of the story has to do with the question... I just don't feel like going over again, which is, you know, is the Mishkan a result of the Egel Azal? But Pashim Shad it is. Pashim Shad it is. And I'll tell you where I'm going when I say that. <clears throat> um, the, <clears throat> it's always, it, this is, like I always say a hundred times, this is my opinion, it's my take. I can't prove, you know, it's my take. You don't have to agree. Uh, you know, the Jewish people were meant to Sharitima. And then, of course, they got out but they went to the other extreme, which turned out to be not a good idea. You know, you go from one extreme to the other, and that's why they made a goal. You know, they cracked up. They even said, we can't... I'm talking about when they went to Harsinai. And then they cracked up, and then it resulted in a golden calf, and so forth, as we know. <clears throat> now, um, the reason I mention is because they still have a lot of their old ideas in there. And it's not fair for you to judge them, because you're coming after all the stories over, plus 3,000 years of from brainwashing. They're at the very beginning of the story. And what I mean by that is the following. It's very interesting to see that, why did they make an Egel Azov? And you'll see what this has to do with our Parsha in a second, I hope, if I remember. Why did they make an Egel Azov? Because Moshe wasn't there. So what? Isn't that how the Pasuk goes? They said, we need somebody to, to, Yechov will go ahead of us, provide his guidance. Now, did they believe God was doing it? Did they think Moshe himself had done all the miracles that they think God behind it. The answer is, they say there is a God, but Moshe is the one who makes it. Is the one who operates it, operates God. You know, not that he controls God the other way around, but nevertheless he's the instrument. And so what I'm trying to say is like this: the people in Mitzrayim, the rove of the Bnei Israel, were in Shaku and the Memtesh Shari Now, mind you, when it says they were Shaku and Memtesh Shari during the 49 levels of Tua, it means that was the worst of them. Some of them were in the 48th level of Tumah. 
Some of them were in the 47th level of Tumah. Some of them were in the 20th level of Tumah. Semashmos, at least as I understand it, is not everybody was a Mentashari Tumah, but probably everybody, or almost everybody, maybe not the Shevet Levi, I don't know, you know, uh, just about everybody was mixed up with the Tumah to some degree or another. When they say Tumah, I mean with the idolatrous ideas and norms that are so strange to you and I today, thousands of years later, but of course, which were totally uh, natural to them at that time. And one of the main ideas behind idolatry is you have something physical there. It makes you feel good. An intelligent idolater of long ago did not necessarily believe, they didn't believe that this particular stick is God, but it represents God and helps concentrate the force there. May the force be with you. Some junk like that. And the point is that it serves as something that makes me feel good because I can see it as tangible. You get it? I can see it's tangible and it's tangible. I'll bet you money that when Moshe did the 10 plagues over in Egypt, People thought, Mo- the Jews, the Jews now, not the Egyptians, thought Moshe is some kind of magician. Yes, there's Hashem out there, and, you know, that's how you do it. Think of what I'm about to say. Suppose I showed you a big magician today. I mean, a real sorcerer. What's the shot? He knows sorcery. He can make it do what it wants. I can make a rabbit jump out of the hat. I can make a, a, a rabbit turn into a rocket ship, you know? Pshat is, I know the rules of sorcery, of Kishav, and I can operate them. So it's not that I am the master of Kishav. I'm the person who is familiar and understands how to use the system. Do you follow what I'm saying? They're not saying he is Kishav. He knows how to use Kishav. He's not the master of magic, meaning that he dominates magic, but he knows how to employ magic, shall we say. So when Moshe was doing all of his Nisim, the Rambam kind of hints to this in Hilkhi's Torah, you know. So he says, when Moshe was doing all the Nisim, the Jews figured like this, the guy's amazing. It wouldn't surprise me if they attributed powers to his stick. Because Hashem said, I'm not exactly sure why God had told him to do that way. Moshe could have done like Bewitched and just crinkled the nose. And right away you get the frogs and the ice and all the rest of it. You know, the, the blood would turn into water. But for some reason Hashem said, I'll take the stick. Now I know there's a hundred Midrashim about the stick is all about. But Pashim Shah was a stick, you understand? And, you know, from Pashim Shah, the stick wasn't magic. Hashem said, let this be, you know? In Yiddish, his expression, if God so desires, a broom can shoot. You know, no, no, it's not anything holy about the broom. God can make anything happen. But that's me talking today after being, you know, uh, what's the right word, corrupted by my monotheanism. In those days, they probably thought he's got a magic stick and he's got all these powers and that makes you feel good. Because as long as Moshe's around, he's like a certain protection. I'll show you exactly what I mean. What do you think the Jews, did you ever ask yourself the following question? Why didn't Pyro kill Moshe? As soon as Moshe told him off, let my people go, why didn't Pyro just kill him? Now maybe the answer will be, Pyro was afraid of him because of the stick or something like that. Why didn't Pyro kill the Jews? Terrence says, you know, during the 10 months, look, if I was Pharaoh, i said, say, heck with it, I'll take you down with me. I'll do Shimshin reverse. Thomas Nafshi my Yehudim, you understand? In other words, as long as you're wrecking the country, heck with it. Kill them all. Kill them all. At least, you know, whatever happens, Thomas Nafshi my Yehudim, you know? Like that. Heroic death. After all, in the end, the Egyptians got screwed. Pharaoh and his army got drowned. The Jews walked away saying, ha, ha, ha. That's worse than a Pharaoh and everybody would have gone down and taken the Jews with them. As a worse. You get it? Now, they must have said the reason that he's not, the power is not hurting us. The Egyptians are not hurting us. This Moshe has like an aura. Has, you know, has, has, has an it, a power or something. He's, they're scared of him. They don't touch us because of him. 
which means if you're living in the 10 months of the plagues, you you attribute it, you know, not so much to Ashkacha Pratis. I mean, you know, because these are ideas you and I are used to now, but I don't know if they at that time. They probably said the presence of Moses, you understand? The presence of Moshe and that stick. Until, of course, they leave Egypt. Even then, Moshe leads them all the way. And I'll tell you again, he split the Red Sea. Is Hashem split the Red Sea. I get that. I believe that too. But if I was standing there and I saw this dude named Moses stick his stick out like the guy in the movie and the water split, i say, he's got the power. Moshe's got the power. The stick's got the power. Now, they eventually go to Harsinai. But Harsinai, it's kind of more clear to them that there's just Hashem there, you know, and and Moshe's a separate thing. Moshe's not operating God. The Ramams, you know, again, if you kind of remember, I think I'm doing by heart, in Hilchus Yisodei Torah says, Moshe Rabbeinu lo hamina ha-mosim. They didn't believe Moshe caused it a miracle, but they believed because Hashem said in Harsinai, I'm talking to you, Moshe. And Moshe answered back and forth. They had a, du- a dialogue and people could listen into it, and so on and so forth. So Harsinai would therefore represent a leap forward in terms of the sophistication of their idea of what exactly God is, but they still don't have it down cold. The whole story of Shmos and even beyond Shmos, I say 10,000 times, is evolutionary story. They're learning more, even Moshe's learning more and more about what God is. Uh, and as you and I know, you'll never know. I mean, in other words, God is beyond infinite. It's hard even to imagine that which created infinity. So you'll never understand it. But even one step forward along a path which is beyond infinite, you know, uh, I, start, I start to sound like that toy show. But you, you get what I'm saying. All right? Now, um, then Moshe's gone. All of a sudden, he's not there. So they're freaking out, and they need something physical. Now, and they say so. Kuma Seilonu, you know, Egel or whatever it is. Kuma Seilonu Elohim. Gizem Moshe you know, something or other. Lo Right? So we don't know where Moshe is, and we need somebody. Now, if they were already fully understanding of Judaism and how the world works, they would have understood what you and I understand today, and we criticize them. What do you mean Moshe is not there? Let's say he's not coming back. Hashem is in charge. Hashem can take care of you. You understand? You're not relying on Moshe. You're relying on a bunch If 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 Moshe dies and doesn't come back, that means Hashem wanted it that way. See, they couldn't, couldn't get, they couldn't cop that. The God so desired it. If God so desired it, he either wants you guys to die in the desert or lead you to Israel. If you want to die in the desert, he don't need to take Moshe away. You know, you'll die in the desert. Get it? That's that's your fate. If on the other hand, you're supposed to get to Israel, you'll get to Israel. Don't be so hooked on Moshe. But they couldn't see it that way. And they freaked out and they made a golden calf, as we know. Why exactly a calf? That's a separate story. But nevertheless, they said, we want something... Don't mean take that to mean that this is your God in the sense of the Boreolam. I don't think they said the golden kid was a Boreolam. This is like the leadership symbol. Okay? At least we have something we can rally around. We have something that's tangible and something I can uh, you know, maybe pray to, bring a carbon to. Again, not with the idea that there's no God above that, but this is a closer for me to, to get a handle on. I can relate to it. I can relate to it. Of course, this turned out to be bad, and the eagle was destroyed, and so on and so forth. I understand that. Now what? Now Hashem says, make a building. You see where I'm going with this? The Mishkan is, is not simply the Kapara for the eagle. 
The Mishkan replaces the ego. It's very interesting. How do I Because it says, So when the Jewish people will dwell in the desert, go online and just type in an image of the Jews in the desert. You'll see the tribes are, you know, like one of these cartoons. You'll see the tribes are camped in such and such a way. And the middle over there is the Mishkan area. And you'll see the smoke rising. And you can tell, I mean, that's the whole point. You could tell that the Shechina was there. You get it? And so Jews are like this. Who's running the show? Oh, it's the Shechanti B'Sucham. I see the Shechina. I don't have to worry about being abandoned, alone, because then they'll freak out and make another golden calf. If you have a house, if you have a building, you have a thing with a ritual and a ceremonial, so that will take the, hopefully, hopefully, that will take the place of something physical and tangible you can relate to and hold on to and, and feel, uh, what's the right word? Security with, security blanket. Said if a person has fear, you can run to the Mishkan. You can talk to the Kohen. You can stand around there and see the Shechina. You can see what they call the with the oil. You don't talk about the uh, Ner Hamaravi, you know, not go out and all that sort of thing. And you say, oh, the Shechanti B'Socham, the Shechina is there. So the point of the Mishkan is Shachan, Mishkan, Shechina. But not simply for some frumi type thing. Mishkan is a very atavistic, atavistic type of, wait, I need something here, and I don't want to hear any Bilvavi Mishkan Avne. I want to see a Mishkan Avne, not low Bilvavi, I want to see a Mishkan Mishkan. You see? Because then I know God is there. Before they ask the question, Hayesha Hashem Bekirbeinu Mayin. Now they'll have the answer. Now, again, you can sit back with an upturned nose and say, what do you mean? Hayesha Hashem was it was a sin, and they shouldn't know, and then they realize the Rabbanu Shalom is running the world, and you shouldn't feel worried about the water, and the, but you see from the story, they didn't know, or they weren't sure, right? I'll masam riva, I'll riva bnei shoba nasa sum is Hashem lemor hayishem bekirbeinu ayin. What do you mean they're testing God? It's not they're testing God. Are you capable of doing this? They're testing God. Are you here? Are you among us? Can we can we feel you, or or do we have to suffer the loneliness and the scariness of being alone out there? Which is especially in the big desert surrounded by a bunch of hostiles. If you want an example of what I'm talking about, you think of the condition of Claudius Yisrael today, at all times really, but particularly today, and you say, you know, we're surrounded with the Syrians and the Hamas and the Hezbollah and all those other junk, the Iranians, who knows what, uh, and it's pretty scary, and there's a lot more of them than us, and they're getting the A bombs and uh, things like that. You know, they're they're getting uh, you know all this kind of. Uh, Terrible weapons, and Israel's always uh, fighting each other, as everybody knows. Uh, it looks pretty scary. And when I say it looks scary, you say, like this, Where's Hashem? And I say, yeah, But is Hashem going to intervene? Is God here or not? What, by what you mean? Is God intervene? And will He save us? Now, to be perfectly honest, if Iran went to war tomorrow with Syria and Iraq and they all wiped each other out, like happened time with Chizkiah, I say, now, as I say, I see with my eyes the Hashkocha Protis, the Yad Hashem, the Providence, and that's all I see. But ordinarily, a person, unless you're from and you have Trenzamuna, and you, you know, and you're trained yourself, like the Bali Musers say, you know, to see Hashem and everything, not everybody's like that. Now you have a Mishkan, it's a big help, get it? It's a big help. So now you have Moshe Rabbeinu basically building his replacement, as it were. Because pretty soon, Moshe was not going to be there. 
as it turns out, another 40 years. And then they'll be on their own. No, they won't. Their Ben Mishka will be there. You see my point? So for many centuries afterwards, the Jewish people, or many of them at least, needed a place that they can go and say, ah, here's where the Shekin is. I, from a philosophical perspective, Shekin is everywhere, and Hashem is everywhere and all the rest of it. That is true, but that doesn't mean that's how people felt in the Kishkas. You see? That's for the educated person, the philosophical type, the person that, you know, thinks in Ruchni's Dika terms, and so forth and so on. Uh, that person can, 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 it doesn't need a Shekinah. Because by him, Belvavi Mishkanevne, the type of person who goes around, as we all should, and says, oh, I stubbed my toe, why did Hashem do that? I dropped the black pen and picked up the blue pen, why did Hashem make it that it was a black pen, not the blue pen? He's trying to tell me something. How come I had a near miss with the, when I was driving on the highway today? How come I got a better test score or worse test score? Blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How come your wife said this? How come you said this to your wife? He said, what's the Yad Hashem in that? That's a good way of operating. Not everybody's like that. Most people say like this, come here, come with me. This is the Mishkan. Here's the Yon Kodesh. Here's the, uh, the, the Mizbech. And, uh, you know, the Mizbech is the Mizbech Koshes. Here you can see the Shekhinah with the lamps and all the rest of it. And he said, oh, okay. Now I, armed with this, I'll see the Vashon runs the world. So what you take for granted today was not to be taken for granted. And the whole Shekhinah is there for that purpose. And I'll repeat again, as soon as they felt that they didn't have anybody there, there was no Shekhan to Bezokham, they made a golden gift. It was like an immediate uh, atavistic reaction. We need something. You need something to hold on to. Okay? Now, um, a major feature of Ayakel, of course, as I mentioned last week with the Haftarah, is the voluntary nature of the operation. This, I think, is very clever. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. One of the interesting things is that Moshe Rabbeinu is put in charge of a project. Uh, he does something very interesting. Ayakel Moshe. He brings the Kehillah together. It's called Adasman Israel. I think I spoke about it two years ago, last year, whatever. It means Moshe gathered all the Jewish people. But Vayakel is not Vayasof. It's not Vayakabetz. It's, it's his own verb. Makel, to make a Kehillah. What does it mean, Vayakel Moshe? It's called Adas. It means he brought an organized meeting together. He made a Kehillah. Organization, especially in the context of a building project, is essential, right? I can't make be, you know, you can't tell me to put up a building and I'm going to do it all myself. You know, nowadays, a contractor or something like that, you know, a builder. What's shot being in the, in the construction business? You know how to organize yourself. This one is the con- this one is the architect. That one is the, you know, the mixers. This one is the guys that set up the beams. You know, whatever they do, you know, this is the electrician, and so on and so forth. The whole shot of being successful in that kind of business is Vayakil. You have to organize everybody to be together. Here, Moshe Rabbein is told to go build a Mishkan. If it's going to be like some shoals I know, Ten people get in charge and say, you want a Mishkan? I'll build you a Mishkan like you've never seen. You ain't seen a Mishkan until you saw me. And blah, 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 blah. And the other guy will say the same thing. And the third guy will say the same thing. Because each one holds his account and Kanaka and a big yachsen. Oh, I can build a Mishkan like nobody's business. Uh, that's not the way it worked. Instead, Moshe was given now a task. Okay? And the task was, go build a Mishkan, organize the Jewish people, raise the money and, 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 and execute the project. Now, in order to do this, Moshe had to look at Kali's role and make what you call uh, executive decisions. You guys will be in charge of the wood. 
You guys will be the silversmiths and do whatever it takes over there. Zahav, you guys will do the spinning. Oh, maybe I need women. So the women will do the spinning. This one will do this. These guys will contribute the diamonds. I'm sure some people went along. And he's like this. Moshe, I got so many diamonds. I want to I, I make a deal. I know Jews like this. I know you know Jews like this. You give me the exclusive, I'll take care of all the diamonds for you. If you hand that to anybody else, I'm not giving you a penny. <laughs> you know anybody like that? Because I want the Mishkan to say, Friedman was here. Schwartz was here. This building was built, you know, by the Glasser family. You know, they gave all the diamonds. That's that's how Jews are. Moshe didn't want that. Hashem didn't want that. But on the other hand, Moshe didn't know what to do. Uh, moreover, this put Moshe, as I see it, in a tough spot. Because, as it stands, we are told in Chazal that Moshe was a person people suspected. Now, it's outrageous that they did that, but it's very Jewish. You understand? Why did he put his tent outside the camp? Because they thought he was in with people. They charged like that. When Moshe came down the mountain, people said, oh, he don't look like Faster for 40 days and 40 nights. Look like he took some sandwiches along with him. He doesn't look so skinny. It's a medrash. I'm serious. You understand? And now he's going to raise the money. And people say Moshe's stealing the money. That's why he pushes Pekude. He had a tough crowd to deal with. You know, if you've ever been in, in Kahila business, you know what I'm talking about. It's a tough crowd to deal with. Now Hashem said, I'm putting you in charge of the whole project. And you will make the personnel decisions. So Katz will be in charge of the Zov. Schwartz will be in charge of the silver. You know, uh, Friedman will be in charge of the spinning and the weaving. And, uh, you know, Cohn will be in charge of the place of the Nechoshes and the, and the Badim and so on and so on. Well, let me tell you something. I'm sure from 3 million people, for each job, there must have been many people qualified. He's going to make a pick who is the most qualified and as soon as you choose one candidate out of out of ten, you made nine enemies. Moshe doesn't need that. He's already got plenty of enemies, as I just told you before. They suspect him of this, and they were speaking against his back, and so on and so forth. If we find his old parshas Bakuda, they were speaking against his back. You can just imagine what it's like. And Hashem is sensitive to this, and Hashem does something which is very brilliant, very sneaky, and that is the following. He says, "Okay, no problem. You, you know." You're what he called the general uh, guy behind, head of the whole thing, but you'll appoint a, an architect to run the actual operation, be the uh, chief executive officer. That's Bitsalo. Okay? That way, Bitsalo already came as an architect. He already had, you know, what's the expression? Koshe, uh, Machshavos, and all this kind of business. It, it says in our parsha something to the effect that God had endowed him. Uh, here we go. Okay? Okay, so he filled them with Ruach Elohim, which can either mean Ruach Elohim or Ruach Elohim. Chacham Asrunas Das Chom Locha Lachsha Machshavas Lasas Bazo Again Achoshes Etc. Etc. So basically, this guy's coming with experience, and he will be able to say, you know, three of you guys, each one of you has some skills in the woodworking area, but this guy's tops, and therefore I'm giving the contract to you, and they won't get angry at Moshe because Betzal made the pick. And that's how I understand it. Uh, this took the burden off of uh, Moshe's back. And indeed, Moshe was a good enough uh, manager not to interfere in how Batsal ran the operation. As far as I'm aware, the only time Chazal tell us that Moshe interfered and then backed off was when they said, you know, what should we do? How's it go? What's the acre thing? The Aron comes first or the Mishkan comes first, something like that. Notice <coughs> <coughs> what's the acre and what's the tuffle, you know. But overall, they gave him carte blanche. 
which is what you have to do. You can't go micromanage and, you know, second guess and all this. That's not the way to run an operation. Moshe knows what he's doing. He gave B'Tzal the kind of authority that Hashem gave Moshe. I told you once before, it says, make him Dvaravdo. Punish all men at a relationship with Moshe Rabbeinu. What you say it, I'll back you up. Even if I didn't authorize you to say it. Like in the in the last plague with the Chatsi Alayla. See here also, Moshe is like this. Hashem is called B'Tzal and, and, and Oliyov. And B'Tzal is the man, and he'll run the operation. And you guys get off my back and leave me alone. Okay? Now, here's the brilliant side of the whole thing. In my opinion, one of the main tasks of the new operation, meaning the Mishkan committee, you got to raise the money. So, and this and that and the other, they need a, it, it, it was a big project and they need a lot of goodies. Um, nobody has any idea how much money they, uh, <laughs> how much money they pitched away in, on the Egal project. Because it says, you know, I'm sure a velt of of gold was just uh, blown away in the Mishkan project. Uh, I mean, in, I'm sorry, in the Egalazel project. I remember seeing somewhere, uh, maybe, sorry, Kaplan, I remember seeing somewhere that, you know, it's a huge amount of actual gold. You ever ask yourself this question? Here, let me look this up in a second. You may ask this question, you know, how much gold was in was in the Eglazov. Okay? Just give me an idea. It's true, yes, six hundred thousand people. <coughs> Excuse me. But nevertheless, it was there. Um I, I, I believe I recall seeing he gave a number. Oh, one second. I was just looking, I don't see it. Maybe it's in the Medishraba with the red cover, you know, the the Medishraba Mavur, the from one. I remember seeing somebody calculate how much uh, it was a lot, okay? So all I'm trying to say is like this. Who says that a belt of gold left over when the goes up? Maybe after the goes up, partial was over. Maybe they did. It's possible, you know. But the other hand, it's also possible that they blew a lot of it. But having said that, as we all know, um, now you're going to require a big uh, contribution. Uh, <laughs> big contribution. Standing over the whole issue, the white elephant, is the following. So how much are you guys going to contribute? Are you going to contribute generously or stingily to this new project called the Mishkan? Standing over that is exactly the question, how much did you contribute to Vegalazo? So if I was a, if I was a Shnar, I'm a Sholach, I mean, for, you know, this and this yeshiva, you know, sometimes the guys like that, you write him a check for 50 bucks, he says, I have information that you gave the other yeshiva, 150 bucks. Why are you only giving me 50? It's the same thing over here. How much are you contributing for the Mishkan? Well, I got this and this. How come you gave more for the Egozov? And, you know, even if I ask it or don't ask it, the question presents itself. You get what I'm saying? So a lot of the success, in my opinion, of the fundraising drive that we all know is so legendary that it says, Hamlocha by it was so successful that they had to say, no more giving. Which is, you know, all the jokes are over, you know, one time event in Jewish history. <laughs> no more giving. Okay, let it be. No more giving. So that means they were Matzliach. One of the reasons they're Matzliach, not the only reason, but one of the reasons Matzliach is because people had a big guilt conscience, built guilt uh, uh, on their head, which is good. By the way, guilt is a sign that you're a mensch. You get it? A person who has busha and shame, it's a very high madrig bias. I always tell you. 
You know, in modern societies, you don't shame anybody, all the rest of it. A person in Judaism who feels ashamed of something bad they did, that's, that's highly praised. You get it? I've been a teacher and other things in life. You see a kid that did something wrong, and later on they're ashamed about it, that's a good boy. That's who you want your daughter to marry when they grow up. He's got a sense, a conscience. Because the other one's a schmo and a half, and that's the guy who'll be causing scandals when they're running institutions 20 and 30 years from now. they got no conscience whatsoever, you understand? They robbed the blind, you know, those types. But the person who has a sense of bush or whatever, they will, you know, feel it. Now, here you are, Moses, and you say like this, God, I'm getting everybody together, and so we have a big fundraising drive for the Mishkan. Now, um, we're not making anybody give anything. It's all called Nadiv Lev. It's got to be voluntary. But on the other hand, the moral pressure is there for anybody who had a moral uh, bone in their body, which is, how can you give a cheapskate for the Mishkan when you willingly gave so much Eglaz up? What a jerk you are. You understand? And I'm sure, based on Chazal's, that this is what the wife said to the husband. <laughs> you get it? We all know the wife didn't go along with, the wives did not go along with Eglaz up. The wives did not go along with Eglaz up. That's the famous uh, Mendes and Picker Blesser. And they said, husband, are you crazy? But the husband were crazed, and they wouldn't listen. And so what happened? They took it, they even ripped off from the wives here and all the rest of it. They were so much sugar, crazy over the Eglazov, they did not listen to the wife. But then came the disaster Eglazov. I'm sure all these guys came home. You know what the wife said to them. <laughs> it's as old as time, right? You idiot, you schmendrick, you blockhead. You boob. Now, comes along. So notice the wife was from and the husband wasn't. That's why we say the women have the special mitzvah of the Rosh Chodesh and so forth. So the wife was from and the husband wasn't. Now they hear Moshe Rabbeinu call, call Adas by Yaakov Moshe, call Adas by Israel. Call Adas by Israel means the men and the women. And and women are going to participate in the building of the Mishkan, as we know. And Moshe says like this, I'm doing a fundraising drive. Voluntary. Call Nadiv Levov. Okay. Then everybody comes home. You tell me what every wife said. The Fruma wife said that a husband, he said, how much are you planning to give for the Mishkan? The guy said, I'll give a hundred bucks. You, Shmendrick, you give a thousand bucks for the Egozov and you were happy about it. You should give ten thousand for the Mishkan to show, you know, to show your atonement. By the time it's over, you can thank the women, in my opinion, for the fact that the fundraising drive was over-successful, overdrive. Okay, overdrive. So, the the role of the women in the Mishkan is probably under undertold, in my opinion. Now, wait a minute. Um, and Moshe knows this, incidentally, and he says, I want the women to participate, you know, in the sewing and the weaving and all that kind of stuff, <coughs> which is just interesting. Now, who is in charge of the project? B'tzalo. God picked him. Kara Hashem B'Shem, B'tzalo The Torah goes to the trouble of telling you that God named him by name. We all know that B'tzal ben Ori ben Chor. He's the grandson of Chor. Chor was, of course, murdered, as we all know, uh, by the Egel Azov. You know, he wouldn't go along with it. They killed him. That's why Aaron, according to the story, that's why Aaron went ahead and made Egel Azov. Vaiven Aaron means, uh, Vaiven Aaron Mizbeach, the Medrash says, Aaron was born, you know, from the word Tevuna. He discerned from the Zevach, from the fact that they killed Chor, that they were nuts and crazed, and therefore he just tried to delay it instead of opposing them. So, let me put it this way. Here's all the husbands and the wives, and here's Moshe Beidou announcing 
<laughs> and it's a funny story. Announcing a fundraising drive for the Mishkan. And here's all your tight, cheapskate Jews. And here's all the wives. And they say like this. Look who's in charge. You murdered his grandfather. And now you're going to have the chutzpah to write a check for $100. You should write a check for $50,000. Do you get it? Don't you have a sense of guilt for what you did? Do you either murdered or acquiesced in the murder of Chor? So Hashem, by choosing Chor, the guy who got killed for Neglazov, I think this was, first of all, I'm sure B'Tzal was worth it. And second of all, he had Ruch HaKodesh, B'Chach HaVatvun Das, Lach etc. But more than that, the symbol of B'Tzal was the Mishkan you want to do right for the thing you did with the golden calf, the guy in charge is the guy you murdered, the grandson of the one you murdered by the sin of the golden calf. I want to see you at least do the right thing in the size of the checkbook. And of course that happens. It happened. Because the B'nai's were all went crazy with giving away. I believe, in my opinion, the wives were probably once telling the husband the size of the check they should write. And the fact that Hor was there, what I mean is if it's all standing there, the ghost of Hor is there, and it's a guilt trip on the Jews, good! Good. You should be ashamed. You should have a busha. I got to tell yourself, if the whole Klai Yisrael gave more money because they're booshed out of what they did the Chor, that is the right way to be. And you might even say like this, that might be the highest moment in the fundraising campaign for the Mishkan, when the people feel tremendous shame. Klai Yisrael as a Klai feels a tremendous shame what they did to Chor, and they try to make up for it by giving extra money for the project that's run by his grandson. The Bush I told you before is, is, is very good. If a whole nation feels ashamed when they did something that is shameful, like the whole parsha of the golden calf from top to bottom, that is a very, very good sign. And that's one of the things that meant that launched the Mishkan project. And it's one of the things that made the Mishkan the success that it was because it was to be So it, it was originally supposed to be a replacement project for Moshe instead of a calf or something like this. So you'll have something when Moshe's gone. But meanwhile, Derech Agav, it also became an atonement for the, a vicarious atonement for the Egel Azov, not simply Mita Kenegan Mita, he gave money for this, he gave money for that, but the shame that's generated by the immediate press, which was the making of the golden calf. And if that generated people to do the right thing, especially when they see Hur, who they outrageously murdered because he stood up and made Kiddush Hashem, Hashem Shemayim Barabim, and gave his life, and be killed by Jews? Right? Killed by Jews? Just to think of it makes you shudder. That's the, that is more important than any all, all the other carbonos. The feeling of, uh, what's the right word? Harata, you know, Abusha, look at look in the Shari Chuba. He's got chapter after chapter. This at the beginning, you know, paragraph after paragraph. He says the the sharp pain you feel inside comes from the highest level of your neshama, right? Mitower and neshama, something like that, come from the highest level of your neshama. A real chum, a jerk, a blockhead doesn't even have that. Uh, 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 a good person, a, 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 a Jewish Jew, has such a feeling. And the Mishkan therefore becomes sort of like the epitome of that. In the way it's described in the Parsha Vayakel, when they raise the money and everybody comes in very happily to contribute in the actual physical construction of the project. Oh, I went very long on this. All right, so I'll close it down right now. And I'll say once again, thank you to the Goldbergs, the Lou Goldberg and family for, and the Neshamas of the Niftarm should have an Aliyah. And with that, I wish you all a good night.
For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.